Chapter 84 of Explanation of Catholic Morals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Keenan. Explanation of Catholic Morals by John H. Stapleton. Chapter 84 Thou Shalt Not Steal. The Seventh Commandment is protective of the right of property which is vested in every human being enjoying the use of reason. Property means that which belongs to one, that which is one's own, to have and to hold, or to dispose of at one's pleasure, or to reclaim in the event of actual dispossession. The right of property embraces all things to which may be affixed the seal of ownership, and it holds good until the owner relinquishes his claim or forfeits or loses his title without offence to justice. This natural faculty to possess excludes every alien right, and supposes in all others the duty and obligation to respect it. The respect that goes as far as not relieving the owner of his goods is not enough. It must safeguard him against all damage and injury to said goods. Otherwise his right is non-existent. All violations of this right come under the general head of stealing. People call it theft, when it is effected with secrecy and slyness, robbery, when there is a suggestion of force or violence. The swindler is he who appropriates another's goods by methods of gross deception or false pretenses, while the embezzler transfers to himself the funds entrusted to his care. Petty thieving is called pilfering or filching. Stealing on a large scale usually has less dishonorable qualificatives. Boodling and lobbying are called politics. Watering stock, squeezing out legitimate competition, is called financiering. Wholesale confiscation and unjust conquest is called statesmanship. Give it whatever name you like, it is all stealing. Whether the culprit be liberally rewarded or liberally punished, he nevertheless stands amenable to God's justice which is outraged wherever human justice suffers. Of course, the sin of theft has its degrees of gravity, malice and guilt, to determine which, that is, to fix exactly the value of stolen goods sufficient to constitute a grievous fault, is not the simplest and easiest of moral problems. The extent of delinquency may be dependent upon various causes and complex conditions. On the one hand, the victim must be considered in himself, and the amount of injury sustained by him. On the other, Justice is offended generally in all cases of theft, and because justice is the cornerstone of society, it must be protected at all hazards. It is only by weighing judiciously all these different circumstances that we can come to enunciate an approximate general rule that will serve as a guide in the ordinary contingencies of life. Thus, of two individuals deprived by theft of the same amount of worldly goods, the one may suffer thereby to a much greater extent than the other. He who suffers more is naturally more reluctant to part with his goods, and a greater injustice is done to him than to the other. The sin committed against him is therefore greater than that committed against the other. A rich man may not feel the loss of a dollar, whereas for another less prosperous the loss of less than that sum might be of the nature of a calamity. To take therefore unjustly from a person what to that person is a notable amount is a grievous sin. It is uniformly agreed that it is a notable loss for a man to be unduly deprived of what constitutes a day's sustenance. This is the minimum of grievous matter concerning theft.
but this rule will evidently not hold good applied on a rising scale to more and more extensive fortunes for a time would come when it would be possible without serious guilt to appropriate good round sums from those abundantly blessed with this world's goods the disorders necessarily attendant on such a moral rule are only too evident and it is plain that the law of god cannot countenance abuses of this nature justice therefore demands that there be a certain fixed sum beyond which one may not go without incurring serious guilt and this independent of the fortune of the person who suffers theologians have fixed that amount approximately in this country at five dollars this means that when such a sum is taken in all cases the sin is mortal it is not always necessary it is seldom necessary that one should steal this much in order to offend grievously but when the thief reaches this amount be his victim ever so wealthy he is guilty of grave injustice this rule applies to all cases in which the neighbor is made to suffer unjustly in his lawful possessions and it affects all wrongdoers whether they steal or destroy another's goods or cooperate efficaciously in such deeds of sin it matters not whether the harm be wrought directly or indirectly since in either case there may be moral fault and it must be remembered that gross negligence may make one responsible as well as malice aforethought the following are said to cooperate in crime to the extent of becoming joint partners with the principal agent in guilt those in whose name the wrong is done in obedience to their orders or as a result of any other means employed those who influence the culprit by suggesting motives and reasons for his crime or by pointing out efficient means of arriving thereat those who induce others to commit evil by playing on their weaknesses thereby subjecting them to what is known as moral force those who harbor the thief and conceal his stolen property against their recovery those whose silence is equivalent to approbation permission or official consent those finally who before during or after the deed abstain from performing a plain duty in preventing deterring or bringing to justice the guilty party such persons as the foregoing participate as abettors in crime and share all the guilt of the actual criminals sometimes the former are even more guilty than the latter the tenth commandment which forbids us to covet our neighbor's goods bears the same relation to the seventh as the ninth does to the sixth it must however be borne in mind that all such coveting supposes injustice in desire that is in the means by which we desire to obtain what is not ours to wish for to long ardently for something that appeals to one's like and fancy is not sinful the wrong consists in the desire to acquire it unjustly to steal it and thereby work damage unto the neighbor it is a natural weakness in man to be dissatisfied with what he has and to sigh after what he has not very few of us are free from this failing but so long as our cravings and hankerings are not tainted with injustice we are innocent of evil End of chapter 84. Recording by Brian Keenan.